waiting for you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful that we can feel the presence of the Lord in this place. Anybody grateful for that? Amen. There is no substitute for it. There's no substitute for it. And Life Church, we want to do whatever we can to make sure that God shows up in our services. We want to make sure that the Spirit of the Lord is there because if the Lord's not here, you know, everything that we're doing is just kind of a routine and kind of obligatory, just fulfilling, uh, uh, filling time. But when the presence of the Lord gets here, that's when the business starts happening. That's when things start taking place. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. I'm going to allow you to be seated. We're going to be using a lot of scripture today, but not necessarily a text to launch from. I uh, feel that the Lord has directed me today to preach in a specific area and uh, in a line that will minister to families and also will be a word to the church. The title of my uh, sermon today is Family Lines. Family Lines. Everybody say Family Lines. Family Lines. Now, this title may be a little bit deceptive because when you think of a family line, many of you think immediately of lineage, who your dad was, who your grandfather. That's our family line. But I haven't come today to talk about family lineages. I'm going to take a different take on the idea of a family line. And today my target is going to be twofold. Today I'm going to preach to families and I'm going to preach to the church. And it's a natural, natural, unique parallel, the family and the church, because the church is a family. The Bible says that we're brothers and sisters. We're all in God's household. And uh, the church is a family. So the family and the church, we're going to talk about family lines, lines in a family and lines in a church, not the lineage that you get from your parents but lines that are drawn. Now, I remember the first time I went to Tijuana. I uh, was probably 11 or 12 years old. And I remember being struck by the immediate change that happened as soon as I crossed that line. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And there are times when I have... Uh, since then, been able to go up into the hills in the Chula Vista area and look over the border. And you can see the difference that is made by the line, by the border. And uh, it's so many differences. The language is different. The food is different. The way people drive is different. The Public restrooms are different. Everything is different. And the only thing that makes the difference is a line. And once you cross that line, it's profoundly different. And all of us are familiar today uh, with the reality that many people that live in Mexico because of the uh, economic situation, the political government situation, have a desire over the years have had a desire to live and migrate to the United States of America. And their desire was to be able to cross that line, to be able to cross the border, the fence, the river, whatever 
the case might have been. But there is a distinction made by that line. And today, I want to talk about lines. I want to talk about family lines. Now, there are many things that have lines that we are familiar with. Um, When I was a child, I liked to color in coloring books. How many like to color in coloring books? How many still, like kind of when you get a chance and nobody's looking, you... Because you can do a little better now than you used to, can't you? Like, check it out, man. Not all over the page. But uh, when you're teaching your your child, Cambria and Brooklyn, my children, how to color in a coloring book, I taught them to shade an area and to stay in the lines. But when you get outside the lines, it gets messy. It just doesn't look right. It's not professional. It's not excellent. When you go down the roadway, there are lines. Now, you people here in Southern California, we sometimes forget that there are actually roads that people drive on both ways on the same road. We spend so much time on the freeway. But there are lines that distinguish which side of the road you're supposed to be on. If you're on the right side, you go this way. If you're on the left side, you're to be going this way. And uh, how many are thankful for those lines? Those lines are very beneficial. Whenever you uh, play sports, um, there is a boundary line on the basketball court. There are lines that break up a football field into 10-yard segments, 10 of them making 100 yards. There is an out-of-bounds on either side. There's a touchdown line. All of these lines are what make the game work and make it fun. Without these lines, it would just be anarchy and mayhem. There would be no form or function to the game, but the lines are what make the lane, the game worthwhile. These are borders and parameters that establish the rules and the playing field and what's acceptable and what needs to happen and what can't happen. This week, we, uh, my wife and I attended a planning session for the youth department of the Southern California District, and we drove up to Big Bear. And on the way up there, there were areas where the road would bend sharply, and there were guardrails along the edge. These, this is another type of a, a line. It's not a drawn line, but it helps to keep a person from going over the edge and keeps them contained into what it is that they're driving on. Anybody ever seen a flooded river before? Maybe in pictures, maybe on the news. When a river floods its banks, it stops flowing so fast. It stops moving. It loses its current and its power because it got outside of its parameter. But once it gets back into its banks, once it gets back in within the lines, then it has the power that it once had to move and to keep going. Now, if you have a pet, we have a pet at our home. We have a fence around the yard. That fence is beneficial to us because when we leave, we can have confidence that when we get back, the dog will be there. He will not have gotten out, and also nothing will have gotten in to harm him. The whole reason is because there was a line that was established, a fence that was put there to keep things in and keep things out. I'm talking today about family lines. Lines are restrictive. Sometimes lines are demanding. But in society, we have learned that lines are necessary 
because they facilitate order, they create unity, they give direction, and they provide protection. Let me say that again. In society, we have learned that lines are necessary and beneficial because they facilitate order. Uh huh. Try having a volleyball game without boundary lines. Anybody ever done that where you got a hat over here and a hat over here? It was in. No, it was out. It was in. I saw it. It was in. No, it was out. Facilitates order, provides unity. Amen. Played basketball before everybody had their own set of rules. It was a mess. But he was fighting the whole time. When you have a referee and the rules are established, it cuts down on it. There's greater unity. It facilitates direction and protection. Lines are important, we've discovered, in society. And we see them all over the place. Government establishes them. Sports establishes them. In the school they are established. The point is, I'm not just talking about literal physical lines, but I'm talking about parameters, expectations, limitations, and uh, how these are important and how they benefit everything. Anybody ever heard the phrase before? You just crossed the line. What does that mean? That means there's a certain amount of things that are acceptable. And you just stepped over the line into something that is unacceptable. And so we're going to have to deal with it. Have I ever maybe said that phrase to your children before you cross the line? I told you. I had an interesting story this week. Uh, uh, we were um, at a lake house on the lake with my wife's family. Lots of cousins there, kids playing, doing crazy stuff. And we would go out fishing at night and then go out and play in the lake during the day. And we caught a lot of big catfish. Anybody like catfish? We caught a lot of big catfish. I caught the very first one. It was big. I was proud. But uh, uh, so at the dock of the house there is where, you know, the kids would play in the water. And uh, we would clean the fish. And one day, Sister Brown came down to the dock. But she wasn't dressed in her dock clothes. She had on a nice white sweater pink shirt under the sweater and a white skirt and she came down to the dock and uh, there at the dock she had to tell one of the kids something I don't remember what what her purpose for going was but one of the cousins one of the cousins thought it would be funny to take one of those bloody fish that we had just cleaned and slap it on my wife's back And it happened. Do I have to say Sister Brown wasn't too happy? (laughs) That would be called an impractical joke. Because she turned around to him and said, you need to learn what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And he said, oh, you're just mad. She said, yeah, I'm mad. She grabbed his hand that had the bloody fish. She took it took it off his face like that. <laughs> what's acceptable and what's not acceptable? There's a line there. There's conduct. Now, if it had been a water balloon, that'd be one thing. But a bloody fish on a white outfit, 
That's another thing. So what's acceptable, what's not acceptable is defined by lines, some of which are very clear, some of which just become acceptable. Lines are drawn by authorities. Everybody say authorities. Lines are drawn by authorities to give direction and to clarify expectations. This is what we want you to do. This is what is expected of you. And the lines are drawn by authorities. Now, as I said before, have you ever been around somebody who likes to make up the rules as they go? That's no fun. Because they like get in a position where it would be beneficiary, beneficial to them to make a certain rule so they make it. And uh, you're competing against them, and that's not cool. And, uh, or, or people who always change the rules to benefit them. See, that's not lines we're talking about. We're talking about lines that are drawn by authorities beforehand to establish parameters to give direction and clarify expectations. And today, I want to talk about the importance of lines in a Christian family and also lines that have to be in a healthy church family. See, there's something very unfortunate that's happening in our world today that many of you may not be aware of. And this unfortunate trend that I'm going to try to explain to you is inching its way into families and the way that parents raise their children and the expectations that are in a home and even inching its way into the church. And this trend I want to talk to you about is called, it's not necessarily a word for it, but it is a permissive attitude and a permissive spirit that rejects authorities and promotes lawlessness, and instead of creating parameters and expectations, the major emphasis is catering to feelings and to preferences. Anybody ever heard of postmodernism? Some of you may have heard of postmodernism. Basically, in America today, this is the trend of the generation that are teenagers and early 20s. It's called postmodernism. And most people, when they refer to postmodernism, they refer to a nation that is becoming post-Christian. If you've ever been to Europe, especially in recent years, you will notice that it is much more secular than the United States. In fact, my wife and I were shocked at the noticeable difference between the heartland of America that we were in last week and the land that we're living in here in Los Angeles along the uh, um, uh, coast of the United States of America. What's the difference, Pastor Brown? The difference is we are becoming increasingly more secular on the coast of the United States of America following the trend that Europe did many years ago away from being a Christian nation, continent made up of Christian nations, into becoming secular nations. And so if you're in Europe, it is nothing to see pornography right on the street, to see nudity on the street, to see things that are not acceptable in middle America just out there in the open. But guess where Christianity came from? Europe. That's how it came to the United States. Europe was the seedbed of, and, and you know about Rome and of course the great revivals in England and so forth, the seedbed of revival. But the problem is, 
is that the society overruled the prevailing spirit of the church and created a church that was seeking to be relevant and in its effort to become relevant, became irrelevant and could not make a difference. Post-Christian mentality is becoming more and more prevalent in our land and even in coastal areas of America and drifting toward the heartland. And this mentality, this spirit of the day says you cannot impose laws and lines in people's lives. It's okay if you want to do it in government. It's okay if you want to do it in the school. But as far as morality and people's lives, you can't impose lines. They've got to just live however they feel to live. See, because love and grace is the only factor in salvation. This is called postmodern Christianity. And like I said, many of you don't know this, but I've been studying this. And I've discovered that there are many pastors in growing churches that are influencing a lot of people who curse and swear in the pulpit. The praise singers have tattoos and they're all pierced up. They accept homosexuality in the church. They even have open bars where they serve alcoholic drinks in the church foyers. This is the kind of thing that's happening. And I'm not talking about just a case here and there. I'm talking about the spirit of the day, which says focus on social activity, being kind to people. But as far as how you live your life, it doesn't matter. We're not going to draw any lines because lines divide. And we've got to be unified called the emerging church and the emerging church is a church with open arms and no doctrine. the emerging church is a church that is accepting but doesn't transform or change anyone and the emerging church is something that is a product of the spirit of the day see they're posing it as a battle between people who are fighting for tradition and those who are seeking to be relevant we're just trying to be relevant to reach our generation you guys are too traditional and you're not going to be relevant and we need to tear down fences and we need to erase lines so the emerging church can be what Jesus intended for it to be is what they say and this spirit of the day has not only been affecting the church but this spirit of the day for many years now has been affecting families and child rearing strategies in the 1960s the tide shifted from authoritarian parenting style to permissive parenting style permissive parenting what is that permissive parenting says that drawing lines is legalistic it's not organic it's stifling it stifles the kids creativity and the real person that they are The idea with permissive parenting is let the children explore their options in a setting that's free from conflict. Make sure they're happy. Make sure they feel good. But I want to tell you today that a Christian parent cannot adopt a permissive style of parenting. Can I get an amen? We can't can't adopt this style of parenting that's not concerned with suppressing evil or elevating good. Let them be who they want to be. Let them express themselves. Let them be true to themselves. That's permissive parenting. A Christian parent has an agenda. A Christian parent has an agenda. And of course, as a a, a permissive parent, 
is focused on just creating the right environment where kids are happy rather than producing behavioral results. Just make sure the child is happy. We cannot accept this as Christians. We cannot just let them kind of evolve into whatever they become. We have to raise children with an agenda. We have to raise our families with a plan. We have to have a goal. I heard one of our major presidential candidates make a statement that shocked me. No longer a candidate was one of the main, one of the uh, last three candidates of a certain political party. And this candidate said, when he was asked a question, if you're second grader, I think I've told you this before, but if your second grader was in the classroom and they introduced the idea of alternate lifestyle and same-sex marriage to your second grader, would you have a problem with this? Would you have a problem with that? And uh, he said, well, while I don't accept this practice personally and I'm not an advocate of same-sex marriage, I think that my children should be able to choose their own values and determine what they want to be believe and be exposed to the various options. Let me tell you, Christians, something. You people that want to be followers of Jesus Christ, in the tradition of the Judeo-Christian tradition, the Hebrew upbringing, you've got to have an agenda. You've got to say, there are certain values that I want my children to embrace. When my young people reach a certain age, there are certain things that I want them to like and I want them to dislike. I want them to value. I want them to disvalue. There are certain things that I want them to accept and I want them to recognize are unacceptable. Not because I want to create some intolerant, out-of-touch traditionalist, but God has given me a challenge to train up my child in the way that he should go. Train up a child. The Bible does not say, take your hands off. And let me do my thing. The Bible says train up a child in the way that you want them to grow. Amen. When they're old, they will not depart. Proverbs 22 and 6. Proverbs 23 and 13 says, do not withhold correction from a child. Do not withhold correction from a child. Amen. But on the other side, I'm just going to be honest with you. There's another extreme of parenting that Christians should not engage in as well. This is what's called authoritarian parenting. This is the kind of parenting that says, you do it because I said so. In an effort to manipulate the conduct of the child. I want to turn my child into the kind of person that does exactly what I think he should do and doesn't do what I think he shouldn't do. And authoritarian parenting manipulates conduct but doesn't develop values and a moral foundation. You know, the Bible, while it says train up your child, it also says at the same time, don't provoke your children to wrath. Amen? Right? It says don't withhold correction, but also don't provoke your children to wrath. So here's the point in the middle. You've got permissive parenting. You have authoritarian parenting. Everybody with me still? What's in the middle? In the middle is the kind of parenting that a Christian should do. If you want to develop children who have Christ-centered values to love God and to love others, you have to draw lines. But you also have to explain the whys behind the lines. 
Right? Permissive parenting says, let's erase the line. Authoritarian parenting says, here's the lines. And I said, stay inside. And they never get the moral reason behind why the lines are there. Right? The kind of parenting that a Christian has to do. Son, these are things that are acceptable. Sweetheart, this is what we do. And when they reach the point of maturity where they can begin to understand it, you transition from them just submitting out of fear of reprisal to submitting because there is a moral reason why we do certain things and why we don't do certain things. Can I get an amen? So, and, and, and the focus with, with raising children, and, and uh, I've been studying and reading the book that the class is going through, Growing Kids God's Way. I highly recommend that class that they're going through right now. Is that training your children in the Christian ethic is that we got to please God, but we also have to be conscious of how our actions affect other people, right? The Bible says, love God and love your neighbor. How does it affect, how does what I do affect other people? Rather than just saying, don't kick that chair, because I said so. You begin to train him. There's a person sitting in that chair. And when you kick that chair, it disturbs them. And we want to treat other people like we would want to be treated. And so now, rather than not kicking it because they're afraid to get slapped in the head, Now they don't kick it because inside their heart they realize that as a Christian I've got to be concerned about how I treat other people. See the difference between authoritarian, permissive and what we want in the middle which is drawing the lines but at the appropriate time explaining the whys. Beware of the delusion parents in raising children that we should do nothing to develop our children or try to impose our values on our children. Just leave them alone. Wait for God's grace to do the work in their life. No, the Bible says we work together with God. We are laborers together with Him. We cooperate with God's grace. I know that we can't train our child into being saved, but we can train in a cooperative effort with God's principles and put them into the heart of the child and teach them how to respond based on the Word of God. Amen? Hallelujah. Drawing lines and explaining why the lines are there. Why we want to love God and and please Him and love our neighbor. We are in an effort to install Christian character. Teaching our kids not just to act morally, but to think morally. Are you with me? Can you see the difference? I'm doing the right thing. Because I've been told. I have no clue why. Don't know what the meaning is. I just want to be submitted. So I'm acting morally as opposed to thinking morally. When you begin to think morally, you can face unique situations. You can face different situations. And that more morality that's been installed in you enables you. See, because your kids are going to face questions that you didn't even know were questions. You don't even, not only do you not have the answers, you didn't even know the questions were coming. But if you can install within them and teach them to think morally, But you don't do that just by correcting them. You do that by correcting them while at the same time as they're mature enough explaining the ethic or the reason behind the line, why the line is there. Amen? So draw the lines and explain the whys. And you can raise a morally responsible child. Amen? The problem is sometimes we focus only on the how-tos rather than the why-for. What I want you to do and why I want you to do it is the proper way to raise a child. 
I'm not saying you have to always tell them why. Sometimes, like little kids, you know, they're not ready to understand why. Sometimes when they're little, it's because mommy said so. Because daddy told you. But when they get older, you've got to transition and begin to give them the moral reason behind the line. Amen. Your toddler's sitting on the chair in the high chair. Got a, got a high chair full of food and she's on the floor. And you know that that's not the kind of conduct you want because it m- creates work for somebody. That's somebody being you. But they're not old enough to understand the idea that my action is creating work for another person. But that doesn't mean just because they're not morally at a point or, or mature, maturity-wise at a point to accept the moral reasoning behind why they shouldn't throw on the floor because it hurts other people. That doesn't mean you just let them throw it on the floor. You say, don't throw it on the floor because mommy said so. Eventually, they'll understand the moral reason behind what they're saying. Is this okay today? Is this all right? Amen. See, because in raising Christian kids that have Christian character, we don't want to just raise robots that just do what they're told, but we want children with values. And the only way you can have children with values is you have to draw the lines, but at the right time, you have to also lovingly explain the why. Amen? Hallelujah. We want them to learn how to develop values rather than just force conformity on them. And if you want to do that, if you want to learn how to raise kids that have godly values rather than just forcing them to conform, I challenge you to take the class Growing Kids God's Way. Growing Kids God's Way. It will teach you how to put values in your kids rather than just to get them to quit running around and sit down. Right? Character training is important. Amen. Without lines and without values, it creates lawlessness. It creates lawlessness. I remember my dad telling the story about a family. I believe their name started with C. Maybe it was Carlin Carpenter, something like that, that lived in their neighborhood. And uh, this family had a bunch of kids in the neighborhood that my father grew up in, Winnipeg, Manitoba. And dad said, all of us wished we lived in the Carlin's house because in the Carlin's house, there was no house rules, no lines. He said, Carlin's, we had to come in when it got dark. And they're still out there out playing. We're already in bed. And they're still out playing. No rules, no expectation. They could wear whatever they wanted, come out whenever they wanted, come and go whenever they wanted act however they wanted, no rules, no expectations. Man, I wish I could live in the Carlin's household. No house rules. Isn't that cool? No lines. And then I remember my dad telling, I remember this as a child, my dad telling the story of the Carlin's, what happened to their family, the kids that spent time in juvenile hall that were in prison, that got addicted to alcoholism and drugs, all the things that happened from that family. Because without lines, you create lawlessness. You create mayhem. You don't give a track to run in. You don't give direction and you don't give expectations. And there's a good chance, a really good chance without laws, without lines, that your child could end up being uh, uh, the kind of life that you would never want them to live. Amen? House rules. Character training. Why? Everybody heard of the great preacher Jonathan Edwards before? I'm moving along. I'm going to take a drink of water. Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest preachers, revivalists of the uh, 19th century. 
And uh, in his final sermon, his parting sermon to the church, he preached three hours. Man, three hours. Preached about everything. It's his final sermon. It's a great preacher. Preached for years all over. His final sermon to three hours. About everything. Then finally, at the very end, he came down to his capstone and he said, this is a paraphrase of what he said in his final words to his church. When the Christian family is no longer what it ought to be, everything else that the church does is weakened, if not destroyed. For what we are is, as a family is what we are as a church. Say that again. What we are as a family is what we become as a church. What is the church? But a family of families and a household of households. So training our children is important. Training them and putting Christian values in them is important to the future of your family and to the future of our church. Your family is one of the most fundamental units in the world for building the kingdom of God. And by extension, the true church of the living God is the most fundamental unit in the world for building up the kingdom of God. We generate values, amen? We generate and perpetuate values into our society. And the family is, or let me say it this way, the church is a family. Everybody said amen. The church is a family. Can we agree on that? I'm glad I'm a part of the family of God. Jesus Christ, amen, is our creator. He's our heavenly father. And we are brothers and sisters and we prefer one another. We care for one another. We deal with each other on the basis of relationships, amen? You know, if you get a coworker and they do you wrong, you cut them off. But if you have a brother or a sister that does you wrong, you may get mad and bear a grudge, but one time or another, you're going to have to work this thing out or Thanksgiving is going to be miserable for the rest of your life because they're family. And so we operate in the church on the basis of relationships rather than offices and so forth. The Bible says, relate to older men as a son to a father. Relate to older women as a, as a son to a mother or a daughter to a mother. We relate to one another in family relationship because the church is a family. Everybody say amen. amen. And so the church as well, in order to be healthy, in order to be the kind of family that we want it to be, also has to have lines as well. Amen? In the Old Testament, God desired to be made known to the world. So how did he do it? Did he show up, come out of a genie bottle, just shock everybody by doing like... That's not how God desired to show himself to the world. Are y'all still with me? God desired to be made known to the world, so he chose a people on earth to represent him to all nations. This was God's plan. I'm not going to show myself by cracking a mountain in half. I'll show myself by representing myself to the world through a group of people. And guess who was given that privilege? The nation of Israel was the nation in the Old Testament. In, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, the Bible declares that God desired to be made known to the world and He chose the nation of Israel as His representative to show Himself to them. Amen? Hallelujah. 
In Exodus 19.6, it declares, you are a kingdom of priests that you would declare God's glory. Now, in the New Testament, if we're to go a little bit further, in the New Testament, we discover that the Hebrew people, as a majority, rejected the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And now it is the church that's called out of the world to be God's earthly representatives. So who reveals God to the world today? It's not the Hebrew people, but it is Christians. People who've been called by the name of Jesus. Amen. That have been called out from the world. How many are thankful that God turned it around in your life? That there were things that used to be in your spirit and things that used to be in your conduct and in your lifestyle and in your appetites that the Spirit of God through His Holy Spirit brought about this change. Amen. I love that old-fashioned preaching about the change that comes through the power of the gospel. What a change He made in my life. Amen. I've been compromising my whole life. I, I, before I met Jesus, uh, I always chose the wrong. I always listened to the lies of the devil. But what a change that he's made in my life. Uh, you notice you don't hear that as much in the church world anymore. Because there's not a change expected. Because the church world has ceased drawing lines and creating expectations. Amen. But to get back to what I was saying, you're the chosen generation. The Bible said God has called us out. The church, word church means called out ones. Called out from the world to be God's earthly representative. You're a chosen generation, 1 Peter 2.9 says, a New Testament. A royal priesthood, a holy nation that you would show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Amen. The church is unique because we have been called out of the world and given a responsibility and a calling to show forth God's moral rightness. Amen. God's praises, God's glory to the world. Amen. And in the Old Testament, God's favor and God's presence and God's glory rested on the nation of Israel as long as they were obedient. And as long as there was that divinely inspired distance from the nations around them. God said to Moses at one point, because of Israel's disobedience, I made a promise to you, I'm going to fulfill it to you, but I'm not going with you to the promised land. And that's when Moses said, stop God. If you're not going, I'm not going either. We want your presence in our midst. Whatever that requires whatever we have to submit, whatever we have to obey. Amen. We want God. See, that's the point here. The point is we want God's favor upon the church. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Obedience is better than sacrifice. If you look through the whole Bible and sum it up in one word, that one word would be submission. Submitting to God, submitting to his plan, submitting to his purpose, submitting to his word from the beginning of Genesis to the ending of Revelation. Even the message of grace is about submitting to God and letting his will be executed in your life. Submission. We want God's presence in our midst, but God doesn't go where people are doing their own thing. God goes where people are saying, God, how do we please you? How do we get your favor in our midst? How do we have your blessings upon us? 
Declaring God to the world was Israel's reason for existence. And today, showing God to the world is the church's reason for their existence. And God wants our behavior to stand out. God wants our behavior to be distinctively different from the world. Can I get an amen? Not just different for the sake of being different or odd, but distinctively reflective of the character of God. We reflect God's character to this world. Our behavior is different not just because we are self-righteous. Our behavior is different not just because we want to be oddballs or unique. Our behavior is different because this world is going after Satan and all of his, uh, 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 the flesh's desires. And we're still trying to reflect God's character. It becomes greater pressure on the church. I'm going to tell you, it's only going to get worse until the Lord comes again. The church is going to feel more pressure to erase lines. Lines of doctrine, lines of distinction. There's going to be more and more pressure. And there better be some people in the land. There better be some people in Life Church that say, you know what, Pastor? We want there to be lines. We want there to be expectations. We want to grow, amen, up according to the word of the Lord, amen. We want to be submitted. Give us the lines and tell us the why, and we'll have a moral reason for living this way. Hallelujah. Distinctive living is a trademark of the true church. The true church never blends. The true church always stands out. Stands out because they reflect God's moral law. The church always stands out. Because while reflecting God's moral law, they don't build a wall about themselves, but they're out doing good works as well. When God, and when they see your good works, they glorify God who's in heaven. And there's tension in the church world. There's been tension in the church world over the last several years because the doctrine of salvation by grace, which is true, has created a seemingly natural next question as to why have lines and why have Christian disciplines if we are saved by grace regardless of our position and there's nothing that we can do to be saved. How many believe that statement? There's nothing you can do to be saved. It's true. You don't work your salvation out. I mean, you don't, you don't work for your salvation. It's God's mercy and His death on the cross that saved you. But just because He died and His mercy on the cross saved you is not a reason for us to erase all lines. It's not a a reason for us to remove all Christian disciplines from our midst. Amen? Remember about raising your children. We said it a little bit ago. Now your kids are going to be saved by by God, by grace. So wouldn't it be foolish to say then, okay, I'm just going to let them live like hellions and do whatever they want. And make everybody's life miserable. And then let God get a hold of them. Let Him save them. No, you work together with God. Right? You say, I've got some Christian character that I want to develop in this child. I know that I'm not going to save that child through developing Christian character. But at the same time, I need to do it anyhow. The same is true with the church. The same is true of life church. The same as I'm making a declaration of your pa- as your pastor right now. As I recognize that you are not saved by acts of righteousness. 
that's completely a biblical concept. You're not saved by acts of righteousness. You're saved by what Jesus did on the cross. He finished the work. But at the same time, amen, he has commissioned us as a church. If we want his favor, if we want his blessing, if we want his presence in our midst, then we've got to draw lines that are biblical of expectations, but not just draw lines and tell people to line up, but explain the moral why from the Bible behind why there are lines. Why there are distinctions. As I told you, there's tension in the church, in, in the church world, worldwide. And I've seen it. I've seen churches that were once strongly committed to the truth and had a strong representation of God's presence in its midst that began to negotiate and compromise on biblical lines that were a little inconvenient, that the world was beginning to laugh at it point out as being oddball and uh, uh, try to come up with manipulation of scripture that even though all the churches believed and taught that there's a certain way that Christians ought to live and act and places they shouldn't go and things they shouldn't be watching and things that they shouldn't be wearing and, 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 and the Bible being very clear on these things, church have walked away from them because it was inconvenient and it made people uncomfortable and it drew lines and it divided. And there's no reason for lines because after all, we're saved by grace. But the true church of the living God is going to be in the business of introducing and guiding people in and by God's moral law. Come on now. The true church is going to be in the business, hallelujah, of introducing and guiding children. New converts, if you would. New believers into God's moral law. Because when you come out of the world, you have no clue about God's moral law. Right? And I've seen it before. New converts. They have no clue why they can't do certain things. I mean, it just doesn't register with them. Can't sleep with my girlfriend anymore? Are you serious? Yeah. According to the Bible? Can you break it off? Or be ready to commit to one another? Just sleep together. Yeah, I've heard stories before. People getting up and uh, new converts getting up to testify. And they're so full of the love of God because of what God has done for them. And they get up and just ooze with this testimony of God's mercy and how the Lord's blessed them and uh, how it feels so D-A-M-N good with what God's done in their life. And uh, one of my friends who's now a pastor who's preached here before when he was a new convert, his pastor took him out to eat. And uh, I can't tell you the story. <laughs> the story is he pointed at the food and said, that looks like, and used a curse word. And the pastor said, no, you can't say that word. You can't, don't use that word. See, with, with new, new believers, they're just so coming out of the world of darkness into his marvelous light. The Bible calls them babes. Newborn, Right? Born again, new birth experience. So you're a baby, just like a baby doesn't understand. Why can't I throw food? It's fun. It splatters. It's so awesome. Why can't I draw on the lot, on the wall? Look at how cool it looks. They don't understand the moral reason behind it, right? Because they're babies. Because they're coming out of darkness. And we as the church can either say, just let them do what they want to do. Maybe one day they'll grow up. In the meantime, let's just let them enjoy 
let them enjoy their, their freedom and do whatever they feel. That's permissive parenting. That's permissive parenting and it doesn't produce the product that we want. The product that we want is that we're going to draw biblical lines based on God's moral law from the Word of God and then we're going to train people, amen, how to live according to God's... Because the point is not whether or not you're saved, but the point is, is God's presence with you? Is God's favor upon you? See, God said you can go to the promised land, but I'm not going with you. But my deal is, Life Church, we want to go to the promised land, but we want God's presence in our midst. When I say moral law, some people say, well, isn't the law an Old Testament principle? And aren't we now in grace? Let me tell you something about God's moral law. It is timeless. God's moral law never changes. If God hates something, he always hates it. Doesn't the Bible say Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? He's not a moody person. God hates something, but not anymore. If God's moral law is universal, the moral law is not... You don't say like, well, everything that Moses taught is the moral law. But the moral law, a lot of it is contained in what Moses taught. But in the church today, there is a contemporary trend that says you're saved by grace alone and the church has no place for lines. And as a result, you can't tell the difference between the church and the world. But Life Church, it is our responsibility to teach new babes in Christ. Isaiah 28 and 9 says... Y'all still with me? Whom shall he teach knowledge? I'm, I'm coming into my last page of notes for those, those of you that are keeping track. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Everybody say, understand doctrine. Who's going to get doctrine? The Bible says, them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. The Bible says, who's going to get doctrine? Who's going to understand the moral law and expectation? The Bible says every child, when they finally are drawn from the mother's breast, in a spiritual sense, every child, when they begin to mature, there has to be a building of doctrine, line upon line, and precept upon precept. Everybody understand what that's talking about? When the Bible says line, it's a clearly established principle in Scripture. Acts 2.38, repent, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Precept is not just, a, just an exact line, but a precept is a principle that we then turn around and apply to our lives. We take this principle, love our neighbor. Well, how does that work? Who is my neighbor? What does it mean to love my neighbor? That's a precept. That's a line. But doctrine is established not just in one setting, but it's line upon line. and Precept upon precept as a person begins to grow as a Christian. I want to give you a little reason why there is a rejection of biblical authority. Why there is a rejection in the church world and in the secular world today of lines in terms of morality and spirituality. It is the spirit of Antichrist. It is the spirit of Antichrist. I feel the spirit of Jonathan Edwards on me today, the man who preached three hours. It is the spirit of Antichrist. Do you know when the Bible talks about the spirit of Antichrist, the King James Version, it calls him the man of sin? You know what all the modern translations call it? The man of lawlessness. The man of lawlessness or absence of lines. 
Why is there a rejection of biblical? See, before Jesus came, John was the forerunner. He came before the real Christ to prepare the way. He was saying, repent. He was breaking out, breaking down the resistance in people's hearts so that Christ could come. The spirit of Antichrist is a spirit. It's not a person. But it comes to prepare the way for the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is the man of lawlessness. And it's an effort of erasing lines and preparing people for this lawless concept and this lawless idea. Amen? The end-time Antichrist spirit is a spirit that says erase lines, destroy barriers. Doctrine is so unwieldy and inconvenient and doctrine divides. And so the emerging church says... Let's erase all lines. Let's get rid of doctrine. And let's in turn just get all together. And let's rally around. It's even going to reach the point where you don't even have to believe in Jesus. It's just believing in a higher power. And that will put you in a position to receive what God has for you. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3, it says, Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a great falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, that's the Antichrist, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know that withholdeth that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Everybody say, what in the world does that mean? Let me, let me read the New Living Translation. Maybe this will give you a little better principle here. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day, the end time, will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. Listen now. Don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you? And you know what is holding him back. For he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly. Lawlessness is it works secretly and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Who's holding the man of lawlessness back? The true church. When the true church is taken out of the way, then the man of lawlessness can be released. But the spirit of lawlessness is at work. Let me tell you something about the true church. The true church is going to be just like the book of Acts church. It's going to be distinctively different from society. But at the same time, it's going to be loving and caring and nurturing. Come on now. It's not going to be self-righteous and holier than thou. But it's going to be a church that has distinctive lines that are drawn. And seeking to live according to God's authority and expectations. The true church, the true church, churches that stand for righteousness are holding back lawlessness. The true church has to have lines and it has to instill values. God has given us his word and God has given us spiritual authority. I'm wrapping up here and I apologize, but I'm doing my very best to get this done.
I feel that the Lord's directed me to speak this to Life Church. What is authority? Authority is not the law itself, but the authority is the power to represent and enforce the law. Right? Policemen, they say, here comes the law. He's not the law. He is the representative and the enforcer of the law. And guess what the Bible says? All authority originates from God. Romans 13.1 lets us know that all authority, federal authority, state authority, country, city, educational, all of these authorities that draw the lines that govern us come from God originally. God gives authority and God takes it away. Anybody believe God's in charge? That's why, parents, we have to teach our kids to respect authority. How do you teach kids to respect authority? Let me show you the worst thing you can do. The worst thing you can do if you want to train your kids to respect authority is when they get in trouble at school for something, stand with your kid instead of the teacher. Uh Uh-huh. Can I get an amen? You're teaching the kid that authority does not matter. Teaching our kids to respect authority. But we have these... Authorities in our nation, federal, state, country, city, educational, that draw the lines and govern us. But there's also biblical authority. And there are two venues that biblical authority is executed. The authority of the Word of God is to be executed in two venues. Number one is through parents. You are the ones, amen, that take the Word of God and apply it into the lives of your kids. Praise the Lord. Amen. But also the parents is uh, along with the parents also are pastors or shepherds. The Bible gives an illustration of the church as a flock and there are fences and there's direction that has to be given. Jesus is of course the chief shepherd, but he puts in place in churches spiritual authority to draw lines, give us fences and provide direction for us. Do you believe what I'm saying? Do you believe what I'm saying? And so it's a, it's a very uh, grave position that I find myself in as a 36-year-old man, being younger than many of you, being a position of spiritual authority to create lines, not to create them, but to establish lines based on the Word of God to benefit and to bless the body of Christ. Amen? What is the concept? What, Pastor, why don't we just all get our Bible and just kind of figure it out on our own? The Bible says, remember when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you? I mean, that sounded so weird when I was a young person. Yoke, I'm going to put yoke on me and get it all over me. I understood, uh, oh, he's talking about something an ox would take on. But this was something that would be very familiar to the Hebrew people because every rabbi, teacher, had a yoke. What's the yoke mean? The yoke was simply all the principles of God's moral law were something that you could hear. But he said, now that you've heard it, this is what you do. And every teacher said, this is how you fulfill the law of God into your life. You put the rubber actually on the road. You're not just a hearer, but you're a doer of the word. And the yoke of that particular rabbi was how to take God's principles and put them into your life. See, the lines are easy because they're clear, but the precepts have to be applied to a person's life through a spiritual authority. 
Every rabbi had a yoke and the purpose of the yoke was to put God's lines and precepts into practice. Amen. And so I want you to understand we have a lot of new people at Life Church, new people that are coming. We're excited. And we love to preach about God's power and have miracles and God's anointing and great things happen and lives changed. But from time to time, I want to remind all of us at Life Church that this is a church that has lines. This is a church that not arbitrary lines and not lines that we say, do it because I said so, but lines that are linked to the word of God. Amen. And we want you to understand so that you have a moral compunction by what you do, that you have a moral reason and resolve to do what it is that you do. Amen. Because you know what I'm talking about. You've been around churches that are permissive. You know what I'm talking about. You've been around churches that are authoritarian. But life church wants to be in the middle because we want to draw the lines but we want to give the moral reason behind it because I don't want baby Christians that need me to tell them everything to do but I want Christians that understand and submit to lines until it becomes established in their life hallelujah hallelujah the Lord said to Moses go into the people sanctify them today and tomorrow let them wash their clothes Be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people on Mount Sinai. Moses, I want you to set bounds unto the people round about saying, take heed to yourself that you go not up onto the mount or touch the border of the mountain. Whosoever toucheth the mountain shall be put to death. There shall not be an hand that touches it. When he shall be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. The, the point here, God is going to show his glory to the children of Israel. He said, I'm going to come down on the mount. But before that, Moses, I'm asking you to put a boundary around the mount. I don't want anybody to touch the mountain or the base of the mountain. If they do, you need to kill them. Or I'll take care of it. <laughs> don't touch the mountain. God was saying, there are certain boundaries that I want you to be established. And here's the question. Where does the mountain begin? Anybody ever looked at a mountain? It's like you don't really know when it begins. It's like you just realize, hey, I'm starting to kind of rise. But God said, don't touch the mountain. Well, how do I know where it's begun and where it's not begun? God gave his man the authority to place the fence or the boundary. And wherever God's man put the fence... God said, that's where I accept it. Amen. That's where I honor it. And so even in the kingdom of God, when there are spiritual authorities in your life, when they set a boundary, when they set a fence, when they draw a line, it's our responsibility to say, I believe that's God's line because God has given the man of God. Amen. The request and the responsibility to draw this line. And it's based on the word of God. It's based on a commandment of God. Moses, it may be closer to the mountain. It may be further away from the mountain. But the point is, don't touch the mountain and don't cross the line that God put there. Amen? God was saying, wherever the man of God puts the boundaries, if it's scriptural, I will honor it. I will honor it. In closing, lines have a practical benefit. parent with a lawless kid loses favor the kid loses favor but in the church we're looking for god's favor we want the favor of god 
We've got to have the presence and the glory of God in our midst.